Canelo Alvarez, Tua Tungabeloa, and Papa John still loves Papa John's. Well, that's what's trending on my Twitter right now, and you can follow along at setthetone underscore pod. That is at setthetone underscore pod. Welcome to episode six of this wild journey we call a show. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's trending on Twitter, and I did not click on why Papa John still loves Papa John's. That's nor here nor there. Maybe we will talk about Tua Tungabailoa in the NFL trade deadline. Probably not going to dive into the Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant fight. Although UFC 268 is this weekend headline in a rematch. Two rematches uh, for world championships. Kamara Usman, Usman takes on Colby Covington and Rose Namajunas defends her belt against the fighter she knocked out, uh, Wheelie Zhang. Live from Madison Square Garden in New York. And then, why don't I just go on this tangent now? I might need a separate podcast from this. Maybe I do a, a pop-up handicapping podcast for Breeders' Cup Weekend. I did mention that I will be talking about horse racing on this platform. And this weekend, for those of you who do not know, Breeders' Cup Weekend is... The Super Bowl for horse racing, not only in North America, but for most of the world. Um, right, there's the Melbourne Cup in Australia. There is the uh, larger races in Dubai and the UK. But the amount of horses that ship here, and this year it will be held at Del Mar in California, that ship here and to qualify and race in 14 graded states Breeders' Cup races over the two-day weekend is just absolutely phenomenal. Wall-to-wall coverage on NBC Sports Network, which is going to be no longer with us in just a few weeks. Uh, I guess they're going to try and transition more and more over to Peacock if folks want to sign up and subscribe to that service. And I almost bit on subscribing to Peacock when I think Notre Dame was losing to Akron. Were they playing earlier this year? That's what it could have been. Uh, but I did go on Peacock to take a look and watch Notre Dame. As I saw, that's where the game was. I learned how to pay for it. And I said, heck with that. I don't love to watch Notre Dame lose that much. Now, that being said, they did hang on and win. But Cincinnati took care of their business with Notre Dame in South Bend. Yeah, no big deal. They dog-walked Notre Dame, the 10th-ranked team, around their home stadium just a few weeks back. What does that get Cincinnati? Oh, just a number six ranking in the college football playoff. And I feel like this is the same song and dance each year. We have a mid-major school playing its ass off. And they do not get the respect they deserve. And here's the thing that I hate about the comment of, well, handle the games in front of you and we'll see what falls in line. The thing is, Cincinnati can still do that. But also... Now, Alabama could win the games in front of them. They could win the SEC. The College Football Playoff Committee is still going to put Georgia in front of them, right? Michigan State, Ohio State, Oregon. Oregon could win all of its games. Win the Pac-12, Oregon's in. And then you go to the Ohio State, Michigan State, Big Ten winner. 
and Cincinnati is still on the outside looking in. It's quite unfortunate. I do appreciate the Oregon ranking. I think that makes more sense than the AP of having Ohio State over Oregon. As Oregon goes into the horseshoe in Columbus and takes care of business there early in the season. Though, see, that makes sense. But it's Cincinnati, and the, here's where they differ. And we're going to have to compare them to UCF of years past, where the Mackenzie Milton-led UCF teams has a stout offense. The one thing Cincinnati has is a stout defense. It's not one player. This isn't the Pat White, Steve Slayton, West Virginia team that's a flash in the pan of years back. This is an 11-man unit that flusters teams. And someone had texted me, they didn't look impressive against Navy. Don't give a rat's ass what they did. They beat Navy. They only gave up 13 points to Notre Dame at home. And if we want to nitpick all the way around, I can go ahead and nitpick and say Alabama gave up 41 points regardless of the result. To a Texas A&M team that had just lost the week before to Mississippi State. And now you can look at the college football playoff committee defending itself and backing itself up by going and doing what? Overranking some teams at the bottom tier. Notice how we don't see Houston and SMU, two teams that typically find their way in to the back end of the college football playoff. They're not there now. But we see some SEC teams snuck in there. Makes Alabama look a little bit better. Right? So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to not just look at the wins and losses here, but look what's happening on the back end for the college football playoff committee to go ahead and defend itself. And I, again, I hate getting worked up about this year in and year out. And the you know, CFP does a damn good job of getting us interested. That's their goal. It's a talking point. And what am I doing right now? I'm talking about this. I'm effectively leading off a podcast talking about the decision they made to put Alabama at number two and leave Cincinnati out of the top four in the college football playoff committee. Other news and notes, it is a Wednesday when we are recording this, and not too long ago, just a few short hours ago, we had learned Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19. He will be out this coming week against the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe the break the Chiefs needed is the one-loss Packers. Uh, We're likely to hand a Chiefs team... A loss with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. A defense that's playing relatively well. An offense that was about to get some players back. Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard. Uh, two guys coming back from COVID included in that. And now they lose Aaron Rodgers. So it's the debut game for Jordan Love. A Chiefs team that comes off a Monday night 20-17 to victory over the New York Giants. Did not look great. And I, I get that the blame goes to Patrick Mahomes. And maybe that comes with the amount of credit that he gets. 
but you can't take away from what the guy has talent-wise. That's what you won't take away. But when everyone around him clicks on all cylinders, that's what allows him to make the unconventional look so darn easy. And he's lost that. And we go back to the Super Bowl, he lost that with poor offensive line play. The Chiefs this offseason had rebuilt their offensive line. One thing we've learned here, they did not rebuild the offensive line very well. And that is still lingering and still hampering their performance. So therefore, Mahomes does not look great with poor offensive line play. The defense on the opposite side of the football has not made big plays as they have in the past. And I wonder too, it seemed like teams in the head coaching search received a tremendous amount of flack for not hiring Eric Bieniemy as a head coach. And the one rebuttal was, oh, it's Andy Reid's team. Is Bieniemy just a pawn, right? Reed is calling the shots. So how much credit can we give Bienemy? Are those people right now? Are they potentially right? And the teams that refused to hire Bienemy saw that in the interview process? I'm just amazed that that hasn't come out in the media. And there really hasn't been anything good or bad that's come out about Eric Bienemy as in the head coaching interviews. Right, that's the one thing we have not been able to to see uh, year in and year out, at least over the past couple of years. And I, I, there has to be something more to it. Because with how successful the Chiefs have been over the past few years, one would anticipate Eric Bieniemy should have an NFL head coaching job. Now, it seems like that's slipping away. And obviously at the end of the season, when more head coaching searches come up, Whatever city it depends that they're in, will Eric Bieniemy be a candidate? That's going to be an interesting piece of the puzzle. I always want to talk about gambling on this program when we can, and we'll bring it back to the Breeders' Cup a little bit. We will get into the Survivor Pick of the Week, although I am out, and gosh, I wish I was still in it. Because the New York Jets did it again, took down the Cincinnati Bengals coming off a big win and eliminate a grand majority of the Survivor Pool League that I was in. And as you all know, following along, we had the Bengals with that Thursday night victory uh, back in September that would have catapulted us and not allowed us to pick the Bengals, would have forced us to, I don't know, take someone like the Seahawks who Geno Smith and the Seahawks absolutely rolled in Seattle over the weekend uh, so we can get into the Survivor Pick of the Week. I've been handicapping frivolously, if I can even speak, for Friday at the Breeders' Cup. And really started with race 5 and have gone all the way to race 10. Just a few standout horses here that I like if you want to listen along. Turn your attention to the seventh race. Echo Zulu is a four to five favorite, which is rare for a two year old. And this is the day that bombs hit. And I'll probably even 
tweet out some picks that I have. Again, follow us on Twitter at setthetone underscore pod. That is at setthetone underscore pod on Twitter. Put out some two-year-old picks. Gosh, Friday is such a hard day to handicap. But it can be such a lucrative day because some of these horses develop from their summer meets to fall meets. And you really just don't know how that's going to look, right? The past performances can't tell you that until that race is run. A lot like sports where games aren't made up on paper. The Kansas City Chiefs on paper look pretty damn good, but the games aren't played there. Uh, But this Echo Zulu horse who will show on paper pretty damn good in the seventh race that I've had a pleasure to watch as it's run in the New York circuit during the summer. Uh, we'll probably run another big race here at Del Mar pending she ships well. Um, so Echo Zulu, the sixth horse in the seventh race, not value there, but just one to watch out and taking it to the eighth race following. I uh, do like a horse is getting a little bit of buzz. California Angel, it'll have Rafael Bejarano on the mount and that race is going to be uh, for all you following along here a mile on the turf so that'll get you a horse right now sitting the 14 horse eight to one on the morning line that's something else that i don't get here and i don't know how this needs to be highlighted how this needs to be marketed and now this is for my dumb brain to figure out but with the advent of sports betting and how popular it has become And looking at, I don't want to dismiss anybody's smarts or intelligence that gambles on sports, but there's not great value in even picking an underdog to win, right? I mean, think of, go to the New York Jets as an example, and they won, but they were what, plus 380, I believe? If I had a horse at plus 380, so that would effectively mean 3.8 to 1, that is a very realistic chance of winning, right? When we see that sort of odds or those sort of odds in something like football, we think that horse or that team is a complete long shot and has zero chance to win. Anything about 5-1 to one and under, I'm looking as a very realistic and competitive shot to win in a horse race. $1 to return 5. You have to market the value of the gambling in this sport because it's there. And it's simple enough to pick a name, pick a number, and roll with it. And make some darn good money. So that's something I'm going to think about. How do we market it to the younger generation? I'm going to scribble. Got my pen and paper here. We're going to scribble notes down. Uh, How do I monetize it for myself? Damn good question. Don't know. If anyone has any ideas, please tweet at me there. At setthetone underscore pod. So I just need to figure out again how to monetize it, and we'll take it from there. Uh, another race, right? The 10th following along, I like the 1, 2, 3, and 6. 
Maybe you box it up for a 10 cent superfecta. Six McKinnon, eight to one. The three Dakota Gold, eight to one. And then we have two European horses, Modern Games, Alabar. Five to one and six to one. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's the sort of value. And if you can hit right any of these horses to win, or even if you get them in a trifecta, superfecta, you mix those things into a pick four, five, six ticket, there is value there. Goodness gracious, you people are missing a great sport in horse racing. But again, really follow along on Twitter. That's where I think picks will be. We'll try to keep it a little bit more lively this weekend for the Breeders' Cup. And as we take it to now, everyone's favorite segment. The Survivor Pick of the Week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Week 9 in the NFL season. I am going to steer you along. What are the big games that are standing out? Who are the teams that have a chance? The Cowboys... They host the Denver Broncos, who are reeling. The Indianapolis Colts on a Thursday night against the New York Jets. Jets coming off a big win with Mike who? Mike White. Does anyone know who Mike White is? No. We still don't know who Mike White is, but he is a gunslinger. He'll be without Corey Davis, so uh, let's prop up Jamison Crowder there a little bit. I'm ready for an offensive shootout. Colts coming off a devastating overtime uh, loss to the Tennessee Titans where Derrick Henry now out for the rest of the regular season. Doors open in the AFC South. Colts need a win. Colts get a win. Colts are your survivor pick of the week over the New York Jets. And just quickly around the NFL, the other news and notes. Locally in Northeast Ohio here, Odell Beckham likely... On his way out of Cleveland, the anticipation is that he will soon be released by the team. I'll leave it at this. If Odell Beckham cannot cooperate on a team that his best friend in Jarvis Landry is on, is Odell Beckham going to cooperate anywhere? 